Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected, and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week, I'm talking to Emma Sharley. Here's a little bit from Emma. I've always tried to maintain a focus on letting the creative juices flow and nurturing that. Because I think coming back to that flow and intuition, that creativity is tapped into the same side of the brain. And so if we don't nurture it, it can get flattened. Emma is the second Sydney guest I've had on the show, and we had a fun conversation on Sydney Harbour. Before I tell you about it, here's a quick word from our sponsor for this week. A brand new product to market, Roy Mint Company produced the highest quality fresh mints you can find, and through a connection to local artists, have created an entirely different mint experience. Available only in select coffee shops, partnered locations, and online. You can learn more at roymintco.com and share their journey by following Roy Mint Co. on Instagram. While simple in the steps that need to be followed, leaving the familiar confines of the corporate world is not typically an easy task. And once the move has been made, there are so many potential voices to listen to about what to do next, how to filter out the noise. My guest for this week left a successful corporate career with Westfield to start her own brand and marketing business so that she could work even more closely with businesses to bring their ideas to life. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Emma Charlie on the subtle disruption of a corporate career. Let's make a start. Okay. Emma, okay. it's very good to be sitting here talking with you. This is actually my first Sydney podcast episode, so congratulations and thank you for being my um, guinea pig, I suppose. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be the first. Yeah. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no worries. Can you start by explaining where you picked for our conversation today and describing where we are? Sure. So today we're at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney, the MCA. It's a fantastic museum featuring modern art, a lot of digital installations. They do an incredible job of partnering with Sydney and also interstate brands to bring really innovative first-to-market exhibitions. And it's a place that I often come to, I guess, get the creative juices flowing, to get out of my day-to-day, to relax by wandering around, but also to see new art, new perspectives that I might not have seen before. Plus, upstairs on the rooftop, they've got an amazing view of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. Sometimes. And <laughs> apart from when there's cruise ships parked in the harbour, but I'm two and a half years in Sydney now, and I still get excited. I still get my iPhone out, take photos of the bridge. <laughs> So I still find this view really amazing and yeah, it's beautiful up here to enjoy a drink or a meal on top of the MCA. Yeah, it is a great spot. I guess there's a few spots like this in Sydney. Opera Bar's one of my favourites, not quite as high up. Yeah, Opera Bar's beautiful. Yeah, and they've just expanded. So yeah, yeah, it's it's quite huge now, but yeah, some good spots that you can get a great view of the skyline from in Sydney. Yeah. So you're not a Sydney cider originally? No, I'm not. So I'm originally from Adelaide in South Australia and I grew up there, went to university there and like many Australians then made the trek to London with three months of backpacking on the way. Yeah. And yeah, the reason I did that was I was always very conscientious in school and university and studied really hard and 
you know, got distinctions throughout and everything. And I got to a point at the end where I just didn't want to face going into the workforce. I think it, looking back, I was quite burnt out because I'd given so much and I thought I cannot face even searching for jobs. It's not even on my radar. I just want to go and backpack. And so I had three months to save up 10000 or something like that, worked three jobs, just went hell for leather. And then that was the best thing, you know, three months across Europe, living on $50 a day or whatever it was at the time, shoestring budget, but just being able to kind of get out and see the world and refresh. And then I launched in London or landed in London, I should say, three months after and I was ready to rock in terms of, you know, getting into the marketing industry, getting my first job and was able to give it everything because I'd had that break and seen some incredible things and met incredible people as well as you do when you backpack. Yeah. So, yeah. So then London, then I came back to Australia, went back to Adelaide for a couple of years, then moved to Melbourne, and now I'm in Sydney. Okay. Which, yeah, it's an amazing city. Won't be moving from here for a while. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a marketing background. What, yes. are you, what are you doing in Sydney right now? So I consult in brand and marketing to a um, number of retail, property, lifestyle, technology clients, and... I work with them on everything ranging from brand strategy, brand repositioning, marketing, also looking at implementation. So a couple of clients we work with, we manage the full marketing account for them. And it's basically, you know, stepping in to add value where they need from that brand and marketing point of view. Then it's either resourcing that through myself and the partners I work with, or it's providing them with a um, resource recommendation so that then they can go to market and find the right person to then bring into their business internally. Yeah. So what has been the journey from being corporate to doing your own thing now like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's been um, almost a year and a half now. It's gone really quickly. I stepped out of Westfield in May last year. I was marketing manager there and I stepped out without knowing a lot about the industry in terms of, you know, where the opportunities were. I saw a gap in market, but I wasn't actually on the ground to really understand the feedback and understand that perceived gap in more detail. So I started my business. I did three months of hustling, speaking to a lot of people, having a lot of coffees, doing some initial projects and had Westwood as my first client, which was great to kind of get the ball rolling. And then after... Kept a good relationship there. yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean... Anywhere you work, it's paramount to keep good relationships. And I was there for six years and I worked with some of the most talented people that I've ever met. And it was a great culture and great company. So I have huge respect for what everyone does and it was great to be able to continue that relationship after I left and stepped out. So yeah, did three months of that. And then from there, I was able to build a business plan and really identify where I wanted to place myself in market and then who my target clients were and then it just kind of snowballed from there and here I am today. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been been a great year. I think um, for me it's been, I've never learned so much in a year. It's been incredibly rewarding from that point of view. I've had to really be um, fearless and put myself out there and you know, I've formed new networks with other entrepreneurs, with other consultants, with other specialists who are also freelancing with a similar business model. And so it's been great from that point of view, meeting other talented people, working on some great projects, but also learning to back yourself, which, you know, there's no other option to do 
when you have your own business, you've got to back yourself 100%, be persistent, keep going, be consistent as well, and obviously keep delivering the results. But at the end of the day, it is what you make it. So all yeah. of those things are quite important. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that networking side of things. Yeah. But before I do, I just wanted to find out a little bit, like what was the catalyst for you actually yeah. leaving Westbrook? Like, yeah, I yeah. think it's, I've always had a, deep set um, entrepreneurial streak and I probably didn't honour it as much throughout the early stages of my career. So I always had business on the side when, from when I was young. I had jewellery label, you know, the car washing from, I don't even know how old I was, but washing everyone's cars, yeah. lemonade stands. I was always thinking of new ways to add value or give someone what they need or identify a gap in the market and then act on that. So that kind of was prevalent throughout the early stages. Then moving into corporate, so starting out, um, I was really in London in telecoms and in the sports industry. That became my sole focus yeah. and you know that continued on for a number of years and along the way there were a couple of side projects, so charities I was involved in, boards I was on and things like that, but nothing that I really owned and so that was sitting within me. I also saw a gap in the market when I was working at Westfield. Obviously, we were managing the brand, so Westfield as a brand, but also working with a number of retailers, hundreds of retailers, and the larger ones had their own marketing teams, and we were working directly with them. Then we saw the middle segment may or may not have, then we, the smaller business segment didn't at all. So saw a gap in terms of you know, providing resources and strategic advice to those, particularly the middle set. We've seen a huge shift in brand and marketing across the past five years. It used to sit as a support function, side function, and now it's really driving everything we do. It's driving business decisions, you know, business strategy, business planning is all really anchored around the customer and what they want and how do we speak to them and how we positioned in market. So seeing the rise of that and seeing obviously digital and online and social obviously take a lead in that as well and then seeing the gap of of these retailers that sat in the middle of the industry and them not having access to as much marketing support as they would like those two things obviously propelled me to step out um, you know it's something that I love and just being able to help businesses it's a real thrill and I pitch myself every day because you're adding so much value to their business and it's yeah, I love what I do. It's an honour <laughs> to work with the clients I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is there something about the size of the businesses that you're working with that you makes you feel that? Or is it just any business? It's any business. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I do work with startups and entrepreneurs um, right up to corporates. So the spectrum is quite broad, even though I started out focusing on that middle gap. But it's really being able to work hand in hand with the stakeholder, with the influencer, with the decision maker. And um, that's where I'm most happy, I guess, where I'm able to influence through my brand and marketing knowledge and work with them hand in hand. Yeah. Form a real partnership, deliver on objectives, and whether that's short term or long term, that doesn't phase me. I'm happy to go in and work on a project basis or on a long term basis, whatever's going to work best for them based on their resources and based at what, what stage they're at and also based on what they need. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it doesn't change regardless of whether I'm working with a small retailer or with a corporate, it's still just that, you know, the close relationships that you form and the partnership that you form with them. Yeah. 
I guess at Westfield, it wouldn't have been as easy to form such a tight-knit relationship, yeah, is that right, with those right. retailers that you're working yeah. with? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's an incredible company and the leader in its field and it is a big ship. Yeah. And so you do tend to work in more of a um, specific role and then, you know, working with other departments and things like that, that natural collaboration does happen, but it's not hand-in-hand -hand partnership yeah. like it might be if I was working direct with the managing director or a CEO or a business owner yeah. um, or a founder, whatever it may be. So yeah. it, it's definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. Just something uh, you touched on earlier as well about really backing yourself. It's, um, I guess that's true in life, but you can kind of get away with not backing yourself. Yeah. I've, I've found in the corporate world a bit, like it's easy yeah. to hide a little bit or kind of duck and weave if you like, but when you are a product, when it's your own business, there's no choice. You have that's to back it. yourself. You have to put yourself right out there. Yeah. Did that come naturally to you or was there a bit of learning about that for you? Do you know what? It came more easily than I thought it would because I'm not naturally an extrovert. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to put on this hat and really act this out. And then it came a lot more easily to me than I thought. I think because the conversations I was having with people and the work that I was doing was to me not work and to me it was, you know, all about value. I wasn't actually selling myself in. I was to an extent, but I didn't actually realise I was doing it. I was talking about it from a value point of view rather than, you know, I'd love to work with you and this is how I work and this is my yeah, job, whatever it may be. So because I was driven by my purpose and I saw that quite clearly, it was a lot easier then to speak to people, to have conversations and then to really understand how I can add value to them. That purpose thing that you're talking about there that's it for me too and when I, I know I'm working in an aligned way with my purpose or I'm working with businesses that are aligned with my purpose it's yeah. it almost seems natural and not forced to back myself yeah exactly. I think that's kind of what you're saying isn't exactly it? Yeah. yeah it just feels like the stars have lined up and it's meant to be because there's no waiting on it and you know It'll just happen organically and ideas will flow and things will naturally happen because you're so connected and so yeah. tapped into what value you're adding to that yeah. particular situation or project or client. So I think it's really important and, you know, obviously we see companies and businesses placing a lot more importance on purpose and culture now because at the end of the day it is all about the people and, you know, tapping into that purpose regardless of whether it's, the company's purpose or whether it's your purpose and ideally those would be aligned if not you know how can you close that gap because when you turn up to work you need to turn up because you love and you love what you're doing and you want to be there and you want to give back and help the company grow rather than from any other reason so if your purpose yeah. is aligned to the company's purpose then obviously that makes it a lot easier to um, achieve that yeah have you ever said no because that alignment isn't there or that gap's too big to without mentioning names, but you know, have you, have you ever, do you have a, you know, do you have a, a cutoff point where you say, yeah. well, this isn't, yeah. Yeah, I do now. And I've learned that through experience. One thing that I've anchored most of my decisions on is my intuition and you know, that gut feeling. There was one particular project that I moved forward with and it didn't feel quite right. And then obviously that came out in the wash. And so I've, le I've learned from that and I've learned to really trust myself. And, you know, if I'm not aligned, that's okay because someone else will be maybe aligned or, you know, a fit for that particular organisation. But I had to learn that the hard way. 
luckily it was a three-month project, so it had an end date. And you know, that's a, one of the biggest learnings I've taken from the last year and a half is to really trust what your gut is saying because it's 100% right. <laughs> yeah. And make sure you're tuned into it because if you're, you know, too stressed or working too much or you know, you're not aligned with what you're doing, then that can get drowned out. So making room, you know, for that gut to to be heard and the intuition to be heard. How do you do that? How do you make that um, <laughs> I I have a few tactics. One of them is running. So that's my form of meditation. I've tried numerous times to meditate and it's just not for me. But I feel I get that same, you know, level of zen and clarity and ideation when I run because I'm not thinking about anything else you know I just go out for half an hour hour run often (laughs) it provides great thinking time and you know by the end I'm kind of in a different headspace but for me that's one thing that I try and do every morning making sure that there's a balance between work and everything else obviously having your own business it can be all consuming because you're on all the time nights weekends etc so just making sure that there's that balance and that's a constant battle I think anyone with their own business would tell you that that it's a constant challenge to maintain that balance but if you do have the balance it's only going to benefit your business yeah in the short term and the long term so it's really important yeah I've been involved in small businesses and I guess have my own business now as well as working as an employee mm-hmm. and what I've noticed shift, I had a year out of work last year, but what I've noticed shift for me since being a, like I was a consultant before this yes. in a consulting company and now kind of more, I don't know, it just seems to me to have, there's a lot more flexibility. I am always on, but I can kind of at the same time choose when I'm on. Like I don't have to be on between a certain period of time, but I have to be on at a specific place as well. And I, I really like that. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like a burden you know I am quite in tune to what I need to be functioning at my best and I make sure I do those things like I have a morning routine and those kind of things but I kind of like I like the fluidity of it how it's not kind of this really confined Monday to Friday thing how it is a bit more integrated just into my life yeah (laughs) absolutely because that's the thing like work-life balance it's really just balance in general yeah across everything you do I can resonate with that definitely in terms of it just, you know, I know that when I'm in my flow, I'm going to get things done three times as fast as when I'm not in my flow. So really understanding, okay, when are my flow moments? Most of the time it's morning and later in the evening. Obviously, I don't want to be working you know, every night. So how can I make sure that I'm in there in the morning, getting everything done that I need to, still checking in, still tapping away in the afternoon and into the evening if I need to, but also... You're bringing other things in my non-flow moments that take up that time where I don't actually need to be going, you know, middle miles an hour. You kind of have a, a portion of your day where, yeah, you're, I do, yeah. where you're doing that and then maybe yeah. in the middle of the day you're doing things that are a different. different. Space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I try and do that. Sometimes it's challenging when you've got a number of deadlines on a particular day. But my calendar, <laughs> if you saw my calendar, it's um, crazy woman calendar because every particular hour is you know, assigned to projects or my run or catch up with friends um, because to me that's how I work best when it's quite structured, but it's structured based on my natural flow yeah. rather than a nine to five. 
and sometimes on you know Sunday I'll get so much done and I'll be you know delivered on everything I've needed to so that then I can take a morning off during the week and that to me means a lot more than um, you know getting everything that I managed Friday to have my full weekends off. Yeah. All right, just to go back a little bit to what you were talking about earlier and about networking. Yes. So um, another thing that I've really noticed as I've gone out of, I guess, a job that I wasn't aligned with to mm. now being in jobs that I am aligned with is just my my feeling about networking has really changed. Like yeah. when I was in those jobs, it just felt like an absolute effort. I didn't really want to talk to those people because... I didn't really enjoy talking with them. Like they weren't my people. Yeah, right? and it they was, weren't your tribe. Yeah, they weren't. And yep. it was, it just, I, and I thought I was a bad networker. Mm. And then this past year, I've just started going to events that I've enjoyed or I've wanted to go to and I've experimented with a lot of different meetups and that mm. kind of thing. And I've just had awesome conversations with people. Yeah. And six months down the track, I'm like, oh my God. Look at the networking that I've done. Yeah. Look at the new network I've yeah. created. And it hasn't been an effort and it hasn't been artificial. It's just been me talking with people about stuff that I enjoy and they enjoy. Yeah. And now really cool stuff's coming out of it. Mm. Does that ring true for you? Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, when I first stepped out, I made a real conscious effort to not to network because I, I don't see it as networking. It's more about just meeting like-minded people, talking about ideas, talking about things that, you know, wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. Seeing what challenges they're going through, what opportunities they're coming up against. And so I joined the League of Extraordinary Women quite soon after and a couple of other groups. I moved into a co-working space. And to me, that opened up my eyes to a number of different networks. Is that word again? Yeah. And in fact, now I collaborate and partner with quite a few people that I've met through those networks just because we're on the same page or working on similar projects or working in a similar style in terms of consulting. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so much value from that face-to-face. -face. We can read and consume all we like and... Don't get me wrong, obviously that's really important, that continual learning, but there's nothing like face-to-face, -face, having a conversation with someone, um, really developing that relationship and then, you know, fostering it so that you've got it on a long-term basis. It's about giving. I read Adam Grant's Give or Take quite early on, yeah. which is a fascinating book and it's really singling out the upper echelon of givers and looking at, you know, what makes a giver and a taker different and you know, look at some great case studies and also the feeling you get when you give. Nothing replaces that, whether that's knowledge or you know, putting someone in contact with someone else mm. or helping them out on their project with some advice. That's all, you know, comes back to that networking. But I think networking can have quite a stifling and conservative connotation to it <laughs> <laughs> from based on my experience in corporate as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've certainly been to some networking events. Anytime something's actually called a networking event, I think that's a red flag for me to stay away from it. <laughs> I need to rebrand it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come up with a new name. Yeah, totally. Just call it a meetup or yeah. something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the League of Extraordinary Women, do you want yes. to talk a little bit more about that yeah. as well? Because I don't know too much about it. Yeah, yeah. so it's a um, group of women there's about 30,000 members in Australia oh, wow. across all states and they've just launched into America as well. And the regular events, resources, you know, social groups, a Facebook group, etc., to connect women of all ages, of all stages of business, 
across all industries, all categories, just to share you know, what being an entrepreneur is about, any problems, opportunities, challenges, just to have that conversation. Because yeah. it's so much better to have that conversation rather than think you've got to solve it on your own. I love the fact that I can go to an event and you know meet some really interesting people that are doing their own thing. But I have also set up some partnerships with other business owners that are around accountability check-ins and you know just bouncing ideas off each other, which is great. They're not in my industry. They're not as closely aligned to the work I'm doing, but the accountability piece is really important for me because I you know, I'm doing work day in, day out and stepping back and having that bird's eye overview on my business is really important to me and that enables me to do that Yeah. from time to time. How have you gone about, do they feel like a mentoring role and how have you gone about, you know, how did you know they were good people to well, be fulfilling ha- that it's role? It's happened quite naturally just um, as we've kind of, you know, at the same time suggested, wouldn't that be great if, yeah. well, how about we set it up and it's mutual. So... You know, I check in with them, they check in with me, and it benefits both of us rather than being more formal approach. Mm. I do have a couple of mentors that I have looked up to and, you know, worked with over the years, and in particular the last year and a half. And they've kind of come from, uh, been instrumental in providing business advice, but it hasn't been a regular a relationship such as the accountability check-ins. Yeah. It's more of a, you know, strategic business mm. review every quarter or whatever it may be, yeah. not monthly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mentors are something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. I've, I've never really had one, but... And right now, I'm not sure... It's like, I, I think in three months' time, I might know what sort of mentor I need. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always interested to hear about people's mentors. Yeah. yeah, and it's obviously built off a relationship you have with someone um, but more and more I'm seeing programs come out where you can actually you know apply and facilitate a relationship with a mentor which I think is fantastic because um, you sometimes you just don't come across that particular person in your day-to-day that would be right to mentor and, and advise on yeah. your business so the more the better and I think even in organizations corporates businesses you know employees really important to have mentors because you do need you know, that guide from time to time or a sponsor that's going to have your back in meetings when you're not there, yeah. where you're talking about your career plan, development, succession planning, to know that your message is being communicated the same way you would like it to be communicated if you were there. That's really important. Interestingly, having worked in Adelaide, I think you've worked in Melbourne as well. Yes, I've right? worked in Melbourne. London yes. and Sydney. How would you describe Sydney. What are the characteristics of Sydney? What is great about working here? You know, what what happens in business here that maybe doesn't happen in other places? Yeah, yeah. it's a great question. I mean, I haven't had my own business in Melbourne, but sure. I do um, have clients based there, so I do go down from time to time. From what I see it, having had my business in, in the Sydney market, you've got a lot of fast-moving, motivated people here um, that get excited about things and take action on it. You've got people that are um, living here from overseas or that are transiting quite frequently between other capital cities around the world. You've got more opportunities when it comes to the number of businesses. And, you know, particularly if you look at a specific industry, 
property, for example, most of the head offices are based in Sydney. Retail is 50-50, I would say. So, and then across the board, others, most of them, I imagine, would be based in Sydney. So therefore, that opens up a lot of opportunities when you're looking at consulting and partnerships and things like that. I think the lifestyle is great because obviously outdoors is spectacular and it really encourages you to get out the office, um, become really active, get up early. Yeah. I um, have never seen so many people in a park at 5am in rush cutters. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I first moved to Sydney, I was like, what's going on down there? What are these people in the park? Because you just don't see that in Adelaide or Melbourne. So it's very much an early riser community mm. here. Well, I guess and they're all out there doing things. So it's very motivating. You know, uh, yeah. now I'm an early bird and I never used to be. I'm at the crack of dawn, um, going out for my run and getting stuck into it, which I probably may have not done in Melbourne because I wouldn't be the only one in the park and I probably would have been scared <laughs> that something would happen. But here there's so many people out at that time that, you, you know, it's motivating. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, this isn't really true, but the sun gets up a bit earlier in Sydney. I feel like it does. It's I don't because know. Because it's a little bit further east, so it kind okay, of, so yeah, it does, it does okay. actually. Yeah, compared to go. Melbourne. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so even the sun's motivating you That's to right. get up early. <laughs> Yeah, so I think those three reasons sum up why I love working here. It's also a great base, you know, if you were to set up business overseas and interstate, um, you know, just the amount of travellers and flights and things like that are coming through, it's really easy to facilitate that. Yeah. And then keep your central hub in Sydney yeah. whilst doing business in other states and cities. Yeah. Just before I ask my last two questions, I just wanted to come back to the, the MCA here and just talk about like when you do come here, like yeah. you talked about at the start, that yeah. you, sometimes you come here to get some creative inspiration yes. or just to be in the space. How do you allow that process to unfold? Do you have a, a way of, do you just sit and pause and look at things or maybe you can talk about some of the art here that has inspired you, but you know, how do you use this space for that process within you? Yeah, it's really around disconnecting. I try and not be on my phone when I come. Yeah. I'm on my phone constantly, emailing calls and including nights and weekends. So there is that disconnection when I come here, just being in the moment. And then, you know, coming in with not much knowledge of the exhibitions that I'm seeing. Obviously, if a great artist comes, of course, I'm going to see them as well. But I love it when you stumble across something that you knew nothing about yeah. and you end up leaving the exhibition, oh my God, I want this guy or this girl's artwork in my house. Yeah. <laughs> or I want to see what else they've done. I want to you know, follow them online, follow what they're doing. Um, that's awesome. And it's then that opens up you know, a whole realm of other things that may come out of that. And I've always tried to maintain a focus on letting the creative juices flow and nurturing that because I think coming back to that flow and intuition that creativity is tapped into the same side of the brain and so if we don't nurture it it can get flattened and you know I see the benefits of coming here disconnecting being open to something that I wouldn't necessarily be interested in or not know about and then obviously feeding that back in to what I do outside of here yeah I think that's really cool and something that I don't do that much. Although I did go down to Hobart recently and went to Mona and I felt that oh, when I went there. Yeah. yeah just yeah. that 
things that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. And just forming connections that, you know, would never have connected unless yeah. I'd seen that thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, it's getting into those situations that force you to think differently. I think travel is amazing because that makes you think differently. But we don't all have the luxury of traveling yeah. 12 months of the year. And, you know, even on business travel, it's hard to really get out and yeah. get amongst it and get to the grassroots level of the city that you're staying in. So anything that forces us to think differently, I'm all for because that's just going to keep those ideas and, you know, keep the motivation and keep everything coming through and in developing new ideas and concepts and, yeah, nurturing that that creative side that we all have. We definitely all have a creative side. We do, yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. if you're listening to this thinking, except for me, no, it's you as yeah, well. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> One of my closest friends, I've been friends with her since we were four years old and um, growing up, like I mentioned, I you know, had a few creative pursuits and businesses and things like that. And she always just said to me, oh, you're so creative. I wish I could do that. And you say, well, you can. Like, go out and get the tools. You can definitely do it. And she never did. And I remember going to her house about a year or two years ago and she had this notebook on her coffee table and I was just flicking through it and there was the most amazing typography and calligraphy that had been done in this book. I'm looking at this thinking, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, who did this? Why have you got it in your house? And yeah. she said, oh, that's, that's me. That's oh, mine. Wow. I've just been doing some of it at night while I've been on the couch watching TV. And I was like, see, there you go. <laughs> this is your creative streak. So yeah. not all of us will have the same output, but it's just finding, you know, what allows us to tap into that creative side and nurturing it. Yeah. And whether that becomes a business or not, it doesn't matter. But the fact that we're nurturing it is enough. Yeah, I agree. Just on like what you're saying then about allowing ourselves to think in different ways or putting ourselves in environments that force us to think differently. Mm. A very simple one that I've that I've picked up on is just changing your routine slightly. Yes. Like walking a different way yep. or getting up a little bit earlier because the worlds that actually exist when I'm normally having my breakfast or sleeping mm. until six o'clock. The, the worlds that exist between, you know, 4.30 and 6 are amazing worlds and they're just around the corner. Yeah. You know, just changing that routine a little yeah. bit can drastically change the way I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't agree with you more. And, and that's something that we always look at as part of the market research that we conduct with clients. So how a business owner or someone in that business may shop will be quite different to how the customer shops. So just transferring that thinking because then if you're able to really put yourself in their shoes, understand you know, whether they're doing their research, their discovery, their purchase, their post-purchase, advocacy, all of that, then obviously that will benefit the business because they have a knowledge of, a much greater knowledge of the customer. Yeah. But it's stepping outside of what you usually do. So you know, if I'm going to a Westfield Centre, I always go the same way. So I know that's one thing I used to do at Westfield was driving in a different direction, going in a different car park, coming through a different entrance mm. because your blinkers get taken off then and you're not yeah. seeing the same thing because we get so used to seeing the same thing that it just becomes automatic and we don't actually think, you know, we're not actually thinking about what we're doing and the number yeah, of times that <laughs> just, yeah. I could easily go through my day on my phone and not look up if, you know, if walking to work and things like that. So. 100% with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an easy thing to do in your own city. Yeah, it is. Yeah, cheap, easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, a couple of questions as we wrap up. The first one is about a subtle disruption you'd like to be part of one day or something you'd like to disrupt 
one day in the future? You know, once Ooh. you've had a really good go of what you're doing now, yeah. is there something you daydream about? I mean, I'd love to be part of that one day. That's a great question. So shopping, I'd love to disrupt shopping. Yeah. 80% of people do not like shopping <laughs> yeah, really? in Australia. It's 80%. That's just an incredible figure. So look at how we, you know, can create an amazing shopping experience using digital. I would love to see more of an acceptance of failure because failure leads you to something else and also means that you're trying something new. Yeah. And, you know, we've obviously got KPIs, objectives, and that we're all working to, and yes, the business growth is important. But how do we get to that business growth? Sometimes it requires new thinking and it requires us to have the confidence or you know, the permission to fail to get there because often you can get there faster yeah. than going the tried and tested route. Yep. And I don't know if this is a disruption, but just like creativity, what else can we do to combine creativity and business and you know, really get the ideation happening through businesses. One thing that I commonly see um, with my clients is stories not being told because they don't think that their story is worth telling. Mm. And you know, it's getting really creative around, well, how are you different? Um, why did you start the business? Or why are you doing what you're doing? Really unlocking that storytelling through thinking creatively and then telling it in creative ways to engage the customer. Because 85% of a customer's decisions are based on emotional reasons, 15% are based on rational. Yeah. So if you can tap into that emotional side through storytelling, through in value, through involving in what you're doing, then you're much more likely to have success. Yeah, I like that. I like that storytelling part of it. Just on the, um, you did trigger my imagination about, you know, revolutionising shopping or disrupting <laughs> shopping. Like, yes. what have you got in mind? <laughs> Can you reveal? Um, I do have an idea in mind. We're in very early stages, but how do we curate our shopping experience? So most of us have eight brands in our wardrobe. So your shopping experience and what you need and what you want is going to be completely different to mine. So how can we use digital to curate and provide a shopping experience that's going to be completely all about you and completely different to the experience that I would be having, regardless of whether that's online or offline. Cool. Robots come into play. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so it's actually something that, you know, we're talking about at the moment, but I just see massive opportunity. Yeah. You know, like... And also to support the industry in general, to support the retail industry, the better that we can make the customer experience yeah. and really nurture and personalise and you know all those words that have been thrown around the last year, the better that we can do that, the more success the retail industry is going to have. Yeah. Australian designers, we've got so much talent here and we want to really you know keep that in Australia. Um, we've got the large internationals coming in, taking up market share and we've also got a very global, well-attuned shopper that knows what's happening outside of Australia and maybe shopping overseas or traveling overseas to shop. Mm. So all of these things come into play and it's how do we create an amazing experience that's going to nurture the Australian industry, yeah. retail, but also give the customer what they need. Yeah, awesome. I look forward to being part of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, final question is about yourself and what's a, a subtle thing that you've done in your own life that um, I guess propelled you on this journey or maybe started you on this journey or sustained you 
where you are right now as well. A subtle thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the podcast is called Subtle Disruptors. Yes. So it's about, you know, the little things we do that can have a big impact, the things that I guess are accessible to everybody. Yes. Um, and maybe something like that that would be interesting for other people to hear about that you've done in your own life. I don't know if it's subtle, but one thing I did when I started travelling after uni, I was with a friend who we were backpacking, as I mentioned, and she had this lifelong dream to jump out of a plane. And I was scared of heights. And to this day, I don't know what propelled me, but some reason that morning, I said to her, you know what, I'm joining you. And I didn't even think about it. And next minute, I'm up in a plane and I'm with an instructor and I'm jumping out of a plane and I still I still don't understand how I got to being scared of heights jumping out of a plane but to me it was quite a moment because I'm like well anything's possible like even if you think you've got a fear or a phobia mm. most of the time it's not there and you know I think we tend to overthink things so much and you know there's a real particularly if you're a perfectionist and you want things to be done the right way you know just get out there and do it and underthink it and the worst that can happen is that you know it won't be right or it won't be what you think but at least you've tried and then you can move on to the next thing and I think you know that way also you build up so much courage and self-confidence and um, you know that really enables you to back yourself in whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah so that's, that's one moment where I still think how did I get from ground to in a plane? By not thinking. Yeah. <laughs> but underthinking it, that's Just what I did. It. Yeah. <laughs> so I think underthinking would be my subtle that's great. Um, comment. Awesome. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for the Thank chat. Thank you. It's been so awesome much. to talk with you. Lovely right. to speak to you today. Cheers. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I have a question for you. It takes a lot to let go of what is familiar and comfortable and step into something uncertain and new. How can you start to explore the things that make you curious in incremental, safe ways? If you feel like sharing your thoughts on this or anything else about my conversation with Emma, you can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email, adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, let me know if there are subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Coming up next week, I'll be talking with Andrew McLeod about working for good within the context and systems we find ourselves living. I'm Adam Murray. And I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected and resolute in your own quest to settle disruption. Bye for now. <laughs>